So for a study tonight, I wanted to look at some verses here we find in Hebrews chapter 10. Before I go there, I wanted to mention a conversation that Brother Jay and I had one time about these verses. We were talking about them, and I remember him saying we've got to be careful with this idea of willful sin because all sin in some way is willful, and I believe that's correct. Uh, and as we talk about willful sin tonight, I don't want to leave the idea that all sin is not dangerous because it is. But as we look at these specific verses here in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe he identifies what willful sin is and some specific dangers that you and I need to think about from time to time. And that's, that's what I want to do tonight, and that's my purpose. So here in Hebrews 10, as the writer is talking about how God's people can draw close to God, he has this to say, beginning in verse 22, Let us draw near. He's talking about near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's talking about when we obey the gospel. That's what happens. We're baptized. Our bodies are washed. In a figurative sense. We're cleansed. We have a clear conscience. We can go forward. But that's not the end of the story, is it? That's the beginning. Because he says, let us hold fast. Hold fast to our profession of faith. Part of obeying the gospel is confessing our belief in Jesus Christ. And we need to do that as we live our life. We need to hold fast to that confession of our faith. Without wavering, he says, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So he's talking about how we can successfully live the Christian life. We hold fast to our faith without wavering. But the other thing he identifies here is how desperately we need one another. Let us consider one another, he says. Why? So that we can encourage, so that we can help, so that we can provoke to love and good works. So, what happens when we come together in an assembly? That's what's supposed to happen. That's our goal. We want to honor God, certainly. We want to glorify God. We want to worship God. And as we do that, we can provoke one another to love and good works. So I want to make a few comments about this idea of not forsaking. You don't have to be here. You don't have to be here. I guess if you're my child, Katie has to be here. But my goal is to teach her 
to want to be here. That's my goal. I, I wanted to have the habit of being here. But if we fail to teach our children the blessing and the benefit of being here, they're not going to be here when it's up to them. So I'm not reading that verse to you tonight to demand that you come and be a part of these assemblies. I read that verse to remind you of the blessing we have of being in the assembly. We come and we encourage one another. And we strengthen one another. And we're reminded of God's promises. We're reminded of the tools that God gives us to successfully navigate a cruel and difficult world. We're reminded, as Brother Mike did this morning, that God has given us a way to escape temptation. There's blessings from being here. And I hope that's why we're here. I hope that's why we're always here. And I hope we'll encourage one another when we are here. So that's the context, okay? But I, I want us to notice what he says next. Now we need to be together, right? That's what he just said. Because, for if ye, we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, and I'm going to stop right there because I want to be very clear about what I think he's talking about because he just told us what he's talking about. Willful sin is sin that you know is sin. You've received the knowledge of the truth, and you know it. And you decide to do it anyway. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying or suggesting that sins of ignorance are any better. He's not saying that because you're deceived and you commit a sin that that's okay or that's any better. But he is making a distinction about when we do it and we know it's sin. So that's what we're talking about. That's what he's talking about. So what does he say about that? There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But... A certain fearful expectation of judgment. So you have a knowledge of the truth. You know what's sin. You know what's not sin. And we do. For the most part, if you have any maturity as a Christian, we know. Are we honest with ourselves? So he says there's no more sacrifice. Does that mean it's not forgivable? It's not what it means. 
For some reason, we take these verses and we go to extremes. <laughs> we say, well, there's no more sacrifice, and I can't measure up to that, so I'm just going to do what I want to do. That's one extreme. And that's not correct. That's not what it says. What he says, you already have the perfect sacrifice. You've already got it. God cannot do any more for you and for me. We have the perfect sacrifice. Then he says, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So he's going to make a comparison here. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. Sounds dangerous to me. same writer here in chapter 3 in verse 12 says this, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Folks, we live in a dangerous world, and we can depart. You can leave God, you can leave the faith, you can leave church anytime you want to. God has given us free will. And the devil's working out every day to get you to make that decision. Beware, he says. We need to know that the, de- the devil is using all of these devices that he has. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Reference to that day again. Let's not neglect that. Let's exhort and encourage and help one another. And let's let each other do that. And I understand that in the assembly or being together like this is not the only time we can encourage one another. But it is one time. But he says here to do it daily. Do it daily. Why? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that's one of the things about willful sin that I want us to remember. When you know it's sin, and you decide, I'm going to do it anyway... It will harden you. It will. It will harden your heart. It will harden your conscience. It's very dangerous. 
Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That's not a place we want to be, folks. You can be forgiven. He's not saying you can't be forgiven. That's not the message. The message is you don't want to get to that place. And we'll notice here momentarily why. But it's not a good place to be. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 14, he says this about Adam and Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So again, he makes a distinction here. Now they both sinned. And I don't know that he's commenting on one being worse than the other. They both sinned, but they were different types of sin. Eve was deceived. She believed the lie. Satan lied to her, and she believed it. And Adam's just over here saying, I'm just going to do it anyway. It was willful sin. He knew better. And he did it anyway. And neither one's good. They fell into transgression. And what was the result? They were given some different consequences, but they were both separated from God. They were both cast out of the garden. A couple of months ago, on a Wednesday night, Elijah Mooney had a study on the lost sheep in Luke 15. That's what, why I've been thinking about all of this since, since his study. And then a couple of weeks ago, we had some guys that covered all three of these. And I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here for those reasons, but there's something I want us to consider in the context of Hebrews 10. So the first part of Luke 15, Jesus is interacting with, the I believe it says, the, the sinners and tax collectors, or some phrase like that. Well, it had the good folks of... Jerusalem upset. So the Bible says that Jesus gave them this parable. And he tells about this man that had a lost sheep. And then he gives them another parable. The second parable is about a lost coin. And then he gives them a third parable. And this parable's about the lost son. So was there some willful sin here somewhere? The son. 
the Son. He was in the Father's house. He had every blessing that the Father had to offer. And he said, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want something else. Now the sheep was lost. The sheep needed somebody to find him. The coin was lost. The coin had value. The coin was important. The son was willful, deliberate, intentional, and he knew better. I want you to notice where it took him. I said a while ago it's forgivable, and it is, because thank goodness he. The Bible says he came to himself. That's the way we know he knew better. He knew what he was doing was wrong. And when he came to himself, what does it say? He remembered the blessings that were over there in his father's house. That's what he remembered. And he came back. And he said, Father, I've sinned before you and in the sight of heaven. Now that's important. But it was forgivable. But I have a question. You reckon he had any scars? So what's the point? You don't have to have those scars. You don't have to have those scars. Life's going to scar us. But that one we do to ourselves. Willful sin we do to ourselves. Don't do that. But we have grace, you think. We do. We absolutely do. And thank God. Thank God we have the blood of Jesus. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, he says. Why would we want to stay there? Jeremiah 6. I'm always reminded of these verses when 
I'm struggling in life, and then I recognize that I don't have to be in that place. There's a better place. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where the good way is. It's the good way. It's the best way. It's God's way. And walk in it. Shall we continue in sin? Or are we going to walk in the light? We'll look at John 1 here in a minute. Walk in the good way. To walk is implying, you know, continuing action, if you will. You're moving forward. You're progressing through life. Walk in the good way. And you'll find rest, he says. Is life beating you up? Is it hard? There's a better way. But what did they say? I'm not going to do it. We will not walk in it. And that's what we do, folks, when we sin willfully. We don't want that. We want something else. Also, he says, also, I set watchmen over you. Who are the watchmen? We're supposed to be watching out for each other. We're supposed to be encouraging each other. Listen to the sound of the trumpet. The warning. But they said, we will not listen. Then we know. I, I know you know what First John 1 7 says. But again, I want to think about it in the context of Hebrews 10. You're going to walk in the light, or are we going to walk in darkness? We have the blood of Jesus when we're walking in the light. And it cleanses us from all sin. Even willful sin. It does. But we need to be walking in the light. And that means when we make a mistake, we say, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. And we go forward. And we do better. The proverb says, we confess it and forsake it. We don't walk in it. 
we don't say I'm going to keep doing it because I like that. We confess it and forsake it. And that's what it means to walk in the light. And Peter says this, For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, there's that knowing again. We know. But he says they are again entangled in them. And overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now why? Why is that? Remember the prodigal? Why didn't the father rush over there and bring him home? He went looking for the sheep. The shepherd did. The woman of the house swept the house looking for the coin. Why didn't the father rush over there in the far country and bring that poor child home? He had nothing to offer. He already had it. He had everything. What do you offer somebody that already knows about the blessings of God? The blessings of forgiveness. Walking in the light. Having a good life. Certainly he was happy to see his son come home, wasn't he? The father was. But he said, this my son was lost. For it would have been better, he says, for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. It's that choice. And it's allowing sin to harden us. very dangerous so as we've gone through these scriptures I, I want us to review so willful sin is dangerous for these reasons it leads us away from God And from God's people. So when you're considering whether or not you should come to church, and you think, well, I'd rather not tonight, I hope it's not because of willful sin. Because that's where it will take you. 
you don't want to be here if your mind and your thoughts are somewhere else. Now the writer in Hebrews said that when we do that willfully, sin willfully, we trample, walk on the sacrifice of Jesus. God gave us His Son, and you just put it on the floor and walk on it. I don't need that. I don't want that. It has no value to me. It gives you the free will to make that choice. Please don't. We reject God's mercy. Brother Kelton had a study the other night about mercy and how important mercy is. And we need God's mercy. You do the best you can do, and you need God's mercy. Well, when you choose this, you're just saying, we don't need that. We cannot abuse the grace of God. I have grace. I have the blood of Jesus. I can just do whatever I want to. Certainly not. And finally, we need to remember that it will harden our conscience. And we need that. We need a good well-trained conscience. And we don't need to throw that away. So I'm going to leave you tonight with 2 Peter 3, verse 17. This obviously is the second letter that Peter wrote. This is the last chapter in that second letter. He's preparing... Christian people for judgment. That's what he's doing in 2 Peter 3. And he says this in verse 17, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, I haven't said a single thing tonight that most of you didn't already know. Have I? But since you knew it, Beforehand, Peter says, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Don't be arrogant. Don't think you're above it, because you're not. And don't be led away with the error of the wicked. Be close to God. Let's get closer to God every day. And this type of sin has the exact opposite effect. So God bless you. God bless us all as we strive to get closer to God. That's my study for tonight. We haven't talked about... 
the first principles, really. But if you haven't obeyed the gospel, you need to do that. You need to come with obedient faith and confess Jesus before this audience, repenting of your sin, and be baptized. And if you know that and you would like to do that tonight, we want to help you with that. If you're here tonight and you have a struggle with sin that you need us to pray with you or for you about, we want to help you with that as well. So one or more of either group, please come as we stand and sing.